You like that song? Love Dire it. Straits? Love it. What year? That's 70s, isn't it? 79 or so? Let me see, man. I forget. It definitely has a 70s sound and the sound to it, of yeah, course. I think it's 79 is when their first album came out. It could have been a little sooner. Shoot, let me just pull my computer over here. Well, that's all right. Hey, man, Probably. before we get going, I guess I should say uh, this podcast is brought to you by the good folks over at Go Vinyl Go. And, uh, yeah, they run a mean business. It's a good company. Yeah, so thank you to Ashley, specifically, over at Go Vinyl Go, who makes all this possible. I'm going to burn my stuff up. Whoa, that was close. Fire, good thing we got a fireman in here. <laughs> Wiley Jones in the seat again. Hello, Craig. Franklin Fireman. Yeah. America's Finest. We're looking up uh, Dire Straits. Is that right? Dire Straits. And so we're not we're not doing video this time. We're actually set up in Go Vinyl Go, <laughs> believe it or not. In the warehouse. <laughs> yeah, so thank you very much for letting us set up. In. Yeah. Yeah. So we're actually, yeah, it's a pretty cool setup. You can't see it, but we have antique lamps and plants and smells like patchouli i like the christmas lights a lot yeah it's pretty cool i know no one can tell but um there's christmas lights hanging from the ceiling the typical ones like you know the green string that you'd see in uh christmas trees it's a very nice vibe in here 1978 is when that dire straits came out 78 yeah and then they had another in 79 i knew most of them were in the 80s but according to this man there's only six they only had six records they had Dire Straits in 1978. They had Communique. I guess that's how you say that. 1979. Making Movies, 1980. Love Over Gold, 82. Brothers in Arms, 85. That was their huge one. And then On Every Street in 91. Isn't it crazy how bands like Dire Straits can be so huge? And they uh, and they only made six records. <laughs> yeah, but... Typical in in the music business, though, don't isn't it where uh, the bassist and the drummer and whoever else goes to play for some other band and they start another band when that happens. And Mark Knopfler, the guitar player, he did do his own solo records after that. But um, yeah, I mean, Dire Straits is one of the best selling artists of all time because maybe uh, staying power. Well, I mean, I, they only put out six albums, so is it because of the music, or they just been around and? Well, I think they had the hits, man. Like they had Sultans of Swing. Yo, and what, and before we go on, every single audio recording that I'm playing on this show is a transcode. It's like, however you say that, we're, we're literally uh, recording off of a speaker. So these are not original files. We don't own any of this music. Any music that we ever show on this podcast or talk about on this podcast, it's just for the love of music and to, to spread the love of music and stuff I want to show you or uh so what I think I'm gonna do too is put a like put a playlist together of every song that we play on Spotify so it'll say like Rocket Man's Wheelhouse episode whatever this is and uh and then I'll put every song that we that we talk about because I mean there's some cool like one of the only reasons I feel like I exist in this world is to tell other people about cool songs or that's cool or stuff that I've found but I, I can know. believe that so so anyway, anything we play on here, um, if, if it's in press, you can buy it from Go Vinyl Go, and or any other reputable retailer of vinyl music is what we is what I recommend. 
and uh or man you can play it on spotify all this stuff is on spotify same as our podcast and if you're new to the show <clears throat> which we hope you are we talk a lot about music Come and on. music and movies and concerts and a lot of the entertainment world but dude so they had 1985 they had brothers in arms do you know this song here i do not dude he's so fantastic which one mark Knopfler, the guitar player guitar okay You know this song? I've this never song heard it before in my life. Really? I don't this think so. This is a pretty so. big hit. They play this on uh, classic rock radio. He has such a cool swagger. Who's the too. singer? Mark Knopfler. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He just has this like cool Lou Reed kind of vibe, man. Like he just, or like Dylan. I was about to say, really close to Dylan. So far away from me. I have heard this song. I don't know what I was thinking. So far. It's pretty big. And then this was the. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was a massive hit. I think this out, this was another big song, too. First three songs, man. All of them were singles. Yeah. Let me see how many. See how many that was the first song. album. No, this was uh, this was 1985. The first album had that first song on it, "Sultans and Sw- Sultans of Swing." Yeah. <laughs> so, so far away was the first single they released off of this. It was 19 April of 1985, June of 85. They that money for nothing. Then uh, this song they released in November of 85, but they released five singles. Every single one of these are a big song. Your latest trick. Let me see if you... These have, these have been in movies. A lot of movies, too. Yeah. This one's these a little songs. more obscure. Yeah, Metallica's even covered that Brothers in Arms. Well, they had to do a... Um, they had to do a lovemaking album. <laughs> Yeah, right? Like, you're out there playing the guitar, you're getting the girls? Yep. This, they're in a heart-shaped uh, hot tub. Yeah, that reminds me of another song. Speaking of... So, I, I've been introducing my daughters to power ballads. <clears throat> okay. And, and, like, I forgot how much I like power ballads. So, I think power ballads are, like, the acceptable version of songs for guys to just sit and belt out in their car. <laughs> But okay. I forgot about one, and I want to see if you remember this, and then I'm going to blow you away when I tell you what band this actually is. Okay. I'm excited. Cinderella. Nope. Never guess. White Snake. No. <laughs> <laughs> Black Snake. Red Snake. Told you now. Oh. Uh, you never guess. Yeah, well. No, uh, you won't. It's good. <laughs> I know who this is. I like this song. Damn it. It was in the office space. He mentioned an office space. Dude, this is going to blow you away when I tell you who this really is. Uh, David... Yeah. 
bro, like, like, all I want to do is go drive on a back road now and play this really loud. I don't. Baby, but tonight. it is a cool song. Bad Company. Bad Company. Yeah, but but here's the thing. Done. Here's what's crazy about that. Bad Company was known for not. I mean, obviously they were known for that, but that wasn't the original singer. Paul Rogers was in Bad Company, and they did all that other stuff like fit like this. Oh yeah. And this one. Very recognizable. Ooh. Very recognizable. I mean, some cl- so they were a um, like they were put together like damn Yankees. So Paul Rogers was in Free, and a couple of those other guys were from completely different bands. And then they were a uh, what do they call that? A band. <laughs> yeah, they call it. A you band. don't. Uh, you're not much into blues, are you? Yeah, I like the blues. Yeah, I've noticed that about you. You a lot of your music choices are clearly rock. Yeah, but I like some even wild, even I, the rap that you listen to is is rock. I mean, there's it's definitely got maybe a, a maybe rock it's Americana. Maybe that's maybe it. that's it. I do like some world music though. I like some other stuff, but the blues is cool. I think the thing about the blues, man, is it's pretty played out. I feel like at this point, I mean, there's some cool stuff, but um, well, it's not as as very it's not as dynamic, really. You know. So check this record out right here. I'm handing him. Government Mule's new record, Heavy Load Blues. And oh, so yeah. um, let me play you something from this, man. Like, I like Government Mule, dude. I actually just went to see him for their Halloween show. So they do a Halloween show. For real? Yeah. It's, um, so jam bands will do um, New Year's shows and Halloween shows, and that's kind of their bread and butter of, of like, cool, interesting shows that kind of draw people in. So I think there's people that would go see Government Mule – or would go see Fish, or would go see Dave Matthews, or whoever on Halloween because they know they're going to get a special, you know, maybe a special cover or a special song. But this Government Mule record, this is their new record, right? And so they did one night at the Tabernacle in Atlanta, like the Friday night. They did that entire album and some other songs. And then the next day, me and some buddies went down there, and I mean, bombed out a hotel room 0.08 miles away, right across the street. And we're sitting out there, dude, let me paint the picture for you because we were listening to a song. Was it was it made out like ghoulish and ghostly in the whole thing? Because it's Halloween. Is that their thing? Who? This band. No, no, no. They're just like a blues rock band. Like they're just a, a classic rock torchbearer is what they kind of call them. But this is King Curtis, so we're standing on the balcony of the hotel of this, and and my buddy takes out his phone, he goes, dude, this is the moment we need to remember, man. And we sat there, dude, just like grooving to this right here for like, nobody said anything oh my for five God, minutes. Dude, that sounds great. Now give me four tablespoons of ball in Memphis guitar. Let's go. It sounds really old, too. What year are we talking about? Now, this this is, um, let me see when this came out. Now, just a little pinch of if I'm guessing this is 66. Dude. Wait till these horns, bro. Now, give me a half a pint of horn. The original studio... The original studio version was released on a single, Adco Records, 1967, so I was a year off. And bring to a ball. 
That's it right there. That sounds amazing already. Now, beep. now wait for the horns. Well. Isn't that dude, killer? It is very killer. So here's my deal with this song, man. Like, there's so many songs, dude, that uh, that are out there that maybe were a hit or weren't a hit, but they've been lost. Maybe these people pass away. Maybe it's not marketable anymore, but there's still, like, all this art out there. And I think it's cool that you have people like Government Mule that'll dig stuff up. Now, obviously, they didn't have anything to do with this song, but they play one show, do their whole new record, and then the night I went... They did at Fillmore East, the Almond Brothers album. They did it in its entirety. And then for the encore, they did Mountain Jam, which is like a 20, 30 minute Almond Brothers song. And they did a special show just for Halloween. And I've been down there one year to their show. They did it at the Tabernacle too, where they had, uh, they did uh, Black Sabbath. So they do one set of their own songs. Wow. They take a break. And then, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, you know I'm a huge fan of Halloween. Yeah, but how'd your how'd your Halloween go? It went well. It went well. We we had plenty of kids. You know, I had scare props, like I you pull ropes kind of shit and scare them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it went well. There wasn't that much of a turnout though. I think um, COVID. Well, hyper Christians, you know, trunk or treat kind of thing. Is, oh yeah, yeah. Is back hyper Christians. It's, it's just weird to me. I've never heard know. that term. Uh, actually, I just painted up on the floor. It's like thumpers. Is that what um, you'd say? Oh, yeah. I am going to go get a coffee real quick. Go get a coffee. I'm going to play right. these fine people a song. Beatrice, you want to talk to him? Come here, Benique. Oh, play that government meal. Y'all, had, y'all were talking about that government meal. Play that song. Yeah, that one. Lord God Almighty, help this podcast do good. Help Wiley and Craig. And everybody have a good, wonderful day. We love y'all. And y'all always remember, Benitra's always here listening, typing her fingers off. I hope he don't fall. Yes, sir. Uh, Actually, Warren Haynes did this song with the Almond Brothers, if I'm not mistaken. And this might be just a live version. How am I not hearing about this band till just now? like this everybody would go most churches do sound this way do they 
Bro, I'll go to if you can tell me where there's a church that sounds like this, I'll go. Well, in the south, I mean, you know. What do you mean the instruments? Yeah, Church of Christ don't have instruments, homie. I bet our church did. Uh, yeah, Lutherans. (laughs) (laughs) Some AME, bro. That's where I need to be. Dude, dig this. Tell me if you dig this. Already dig it. It's beautiful. So it's a guy named uh, Pastor T. L. Barrett from Chicago. Pretty, pretty sure he did some illegal stuff somewhere around in here, but in his career. But he took this children's choir and recorded these albums, dude. It's called Pastor T. L. Barrett and the Youth for Christ Choir. But it's sick. So he like he like surfs over the top of these kids singing, and it's soulful, bro. Is this old too? Yeah, this would have been. This is seventies too. I, I don't know quite when, but yeah, he he gets a lot of respect from a lot of artists now, and and I don't know if it's really. I, I've spent some time. There's a box set that's out right now. It's the it's the gold one up here on the top. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, wear a crown. So they have like a four or five of his records, maybe some sermons or something in there. And uh, I, I tell you what's cool about this kind of stuff, man. It just feels like an artifact. It's like, hey, here's this thing this guy did that maybe didn't get the attention that it needed at the time. But now there's bands like My Morning Jacket or uh, other newer bands that have pointed to this guy and like, hey, man, this is like this is epic stuff. And I think original copies of this go for ins- basically they don't exist huh? and they go for insane amounts of money. Uh, dude, I had this pulled up. This is the set list of that first Government Mule show. Wow. And, and so they played two sets, 22 songs, and then the very next night, bro, they do like completely different songs. This is the show that I was at. And then they do a whole other set of completely different songs, and then they do the entire at Fillmore East. But what's cool is they brought in, so the original Almond Brothers, which Warren Haynes, was an Almond Brother when they put it back together in the late 80s. So he was in there with Dickie Betts and all the surviving guys, Greg Almond, uh, some other dudes. And this, and anyway, so he actually was an Almond Brother. They recorded Almond Brothers records. So that's really where he, like, torchbearer, uh, that term uh, for them really is like, hey, these guys are, they have connections back to some of these original bands. They were in them. It wasn't like during its heyday, but these guys were there. He was also in a band called The Dead with a bunch of Grateful Dead members, and they would tour as The Dead and keep that music going, similar to like Dead and Company. Huh. Um, so anyway, he brought in Charlie Starr. So the original Almond Brothers, what I was trying to set up, the original Almond Brothers had two guitar players, and then they had two drummers, but Government Mule's only four people. So for the At Fillmore East set, they brought in Charlie Starr, who's a guitar player and singer for a southern rock band called Blackberry Smoke. You ever heard of them? No. Let's they pl- sound good. Let's, yeah. Just so, the title. So Chris, so I, I, I've always heard this. I don't know if it's actually true, but I've always heard that Chris Robinson from the Black Crows helped Blackberry Smoke name themselves. So they're from the Atlanta, Georgia area too. Isn't that really weird how a lot of those bands kind of come from the same yeah, but area? It, I was just thinking that, and... 
it goes back to Seattle, right? They dig this. Doesn't shit. it? Isn't it because of what the sound is? That it's regional. So this is my favorite song of uh, Blackberry Smoke. This song's called One Horse Town. It's one of their bigger songs. But I just feel like it's really well written, almost like an Eagle song where it's just the composition itself is tight and smooth. Is this their... Uh Is this their style? Yeah, they play. It's not Every all slow like this, though. Like, they rock, too. Where I come from. You grew up doing what your daddy does. And you don't ask questions. Almost a little country. Yeah. If not, a lot, actually. That sounds like any country band country music right now in America and, and I think that's the ironic thing of about southern rock is it's like southern rock may be the genuine country expression and country is almost the 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 corporate version of it all you know because even when you go back in the 70s a lot of those country artists like Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash they started trying to copy off of Skinner and Marshall Tucker, not even in just in sound, but in format of like the way they put their albums out, the way they could do whatever they wanted. They didn't have to cover old songs. They wrote their own songs. Like there used to be a formula with all that Nashville country music stuff. Well, I would imagine it would get more air airtime too. I mean, it's a strategy behind it. When you think, yeah, I mean, it's all I mean, products. It's, well, and like now, I mean, it's probably still going on. I haven't listened to country in a while. We've had this debate before, but they do uh, beach songs now that used to not be a thing. Yeah, there, it's it's so that's Jimmy Buffett. It's like it's like once there's a product, something that is something that is proven to sell, like a Taylor Swift or a Black Keys. Every other label goes and tries to get their version of that. And it's like you think about like our paint store days when paint and primer in one came out. What's the first thing that Sharon Williams did? They started saying that paint and primer in one was a joke and that all paint can be primer if there's no primer. And, and they tried that route. And then what did they ultimately do? The same thing. The same thing. They just put paint and primer in one on it because that's what sells. And so I think, I think um, labels do that, man. I mean, not all of them, but I think if they... If the black keys hit, then every other label goes and gets the black keys. Well, and it's to stay in business. I mean, you can't, you know. So to finish off the two things, one, the reason I brought up Blackberry Smoke is the way that Government Mule brought in the uh, drummer, an extra drummer. He was from the Marshall Tucker Band, you know, Fire on the Mountain and all that. Mm -hmm. So they had their second drummer on stage during that second set, and they brought in that guy you heard singing there, and he's a phenomenal guitar player too, Charlie Starr is. Uh, let me play you one more song of theirs, because uh, that song is pretty country. But this one, I actually, man, I'm gonna send this one out to my nephew, because he he I took him to see Blackberry Smoke at Tabernacle at the Tabernacle, first time he ever smelt weed in his life. And I told, uh, <laughs> we were standing outside, and a guy was selling beer and water for cash out of a cooler that he was like everybody's waiting in line to get he in. He probably racked up. 
for sure. I thought he's a genius. Yes. And I looked at genius. my nephew who was about 13 or 14 at the time. And he, he like, you know, he, it, he was seeing the world. Me and him were standing in downtown Atlanta. Everything in the world is creeping around. There's homeless people. There's people selling tickets, people selling beer by the can. Yeah. Which I'm pretty sure you can't do. Right. And we were going to see this band right here, bro. Yeah, that's it, rip, bro. That's definitely it. I'm pretty sure they had a uh, man. There was this ripoff show that was on Netflix for a while. Uh, it's kind of like Walker, Texas Ranger, Longamire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were. I think that's the show. If I'm not mistaken, it was something like that or CSI Miami or something. They play this song, bro. They rip, man. Like they're a really good band. Sounds good. But what was really And they have a tambourine, you hear it? It's true. Yes, sir. <laughs> hey, you, you cannot be a legit rock band without a tambourine, at least in one song, bro. You gotta... Especially if you make it work. Or you have a girl, you know? Like, if you have a girlfriend that you're like, she's like, I want to be in the band. Play the tambourine. Tambourine. Yeah. There's, just, no, there's no talent for that. Just don't do like the Grateful Dead and have that one chick that can't sing, right? Yeah. Bro, she sounds like a dead cow like half the time. It's terrible. Yeah, many, I don't think she could hear herself. Yeah, a lot of the non-talent folks in bands, they usually end up on the tambourine. But I guess maybe there's uh or, or know, a roadie <laughs> or a roadie. Hey man, you know how to you know how to tune guitar strings, man? I mean, just you got to do something around here, man. Sure. <laughs> and especially those that have that little drum thing on it, even better. I tell you what, we need man some paying gigs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might like that band, man. So, you, are you a Southern rock fan? Um, more so than country. Yeah, I used to be a country fan. I told you we had that conversation early two thousands, late nineties, early two thousands. That's all I would listen. Who'd you to. like? Uh, well, just the typicals: George Strait and Alan Jackson, and you know the first concert I saw in my life was Alan Jackson. Really, Leanne Rhymes and Alan Jackson. Oh, she got a pretty mouth. I met him. Um, Alan Jackson. Alan Jackson, yeah. You know, me and him might be related. Really cool, laid back dude. Yeah, was it true that he was found because his wife was like a flight attendant or something and gave his mix CD to somebody or this something crazy know. like that? Probably. I'm not looking it up. But, but I have been to his house before. Like he didn't you go to you his over? house? Because like, was this a paint job deal or what? Remember James' sales rep? He had to go Bomb, out there. Yeah. Um, Bomb track. That's right. It was James. He went out there to test something because they were going to do an epoxy floor on his barn that he had already tore out tile before and wanted to lay epoxy over top of this thing. It's like 8,000 square feet. Huge. It's a lot of money. But anyway. Does he still live out by the... He's got his own fuel uh, pump. He's, he sold this house, actually, now that I think about it. It's, he's not even living there anymore. But he lived there for a long time and... uh he had a fuel pump in his garage just so he can fill up there and not have to. He had a service, a uh, fuel truck come out and fill it up every month. I mean, how much money do you think he's worth? Dude. Let me look that up. I, I mean, there really is no telling. And I would like to, I mean. And then what you find in there is just an estimate anyway. You know what's really smart about, he says he's worth uh, $95 I I'd believe it. 
He's a pretty big deal, man. And this down here says 150 million. I'd rather be the 150 million. It says top 10 richest country singers in the world. Let's look at this. Definitely at Garth Brooks. Dude, what about him coming to the Ryman? Yeah. Um, it's not you want to try to guess there. these? Number one, it's, it's really obvious when you hear it. But Garth Brooks. No. No? No. Um. Oh, well, Carrie Underwood. Dolly, bro. Oh, yeah. Oh, She's got a know, lot of assets, too. <laughs> No, no pun, dude. Um, we got an email. So if if anybody doesn't know, you can if you have little children or anybody that has little children, you can sign up for the Dolly Parton Imagination Excellent Library. Program. I don't care. Right here, I'll be the first person to say it. Dolly Parton probably is at least top five, if not number one or two, greatest Tennesseans to ever exist. Agreed. Anybody who makes the money she makes and then spends the rest of her life just trying to make other people's lives better. And you can say it however you want. I mean, Dollywood's making money or whatever, but you have Nashville, Tennessee, who sells out Opryland to build a friggin' mall. And we sat there and enjoyed that our whole lives. And then they take that away to build a dumb mall. That tells you the state of Nashville right there. Nothing else needs to be said. They tear everything in the world down for something else to make money. Dolly takes the hangman and a couple of other rides to Gatlinburg and makes Dollywood. And I remember it kind of not being a thing. Like Dollywood was less than, it was almost like Kentucky kingdom. It was kind of a joke. Yeah. But now I think Dollywood's legit and she's given, and I mean, she's created something that gives jobs to people in that area. First of all, and she was part of building up pigeon forge in Gatlinburg, which is probably one of the greatest assets that Tennessee has. When I was a kid, we went up there, but it was called Silver Dollar City. She bought that. It was an existing um, amusement park. Yeah, and she made it better. Um, but, you know, they got affected by those fires a few years ago. They had to it. shut down. The big, big losses there. Talking about whole entire towns burned to the ground. It's crazy. And that's insane. Yeah, but you know, it's one of those deals, man. Like, should we even be living there? I know, Is there dude. proper forest management? Like, bro, why do people... I think that all the time. Like, would you go build a house on a volcano, bro? You shouldn't, you know? If you were to say that, that's the thing. Well, that's a good example. I'm going to put it on some damn stilts, and if, we're going to be right over the damn thing, and I want to be able to look out my window, and I want to be able to see the mother... If you said... Hey, I'm going to build a house on the side of a volcano. And I would say, I think the government won't let you do that. Why is that? Because it's a fucking volcano. That's why. Well, they're so, just trying to damn mandate it, and they don't know what they're talking about. So if that's the case, so if that's the case, why would you build in a repeated wildland fire area in California anywhere? Why does that happen? I don't understand. It's crazy. Over and over again, every year property loss and all these numbers. Why are you building there? Look, and here's the other thing. Back to Dolly real quick. Uh, oh, we're going to finish this list too. Yeah, sorry. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's finish the list. You know, Dolly. I Dolly think, is the greatest. She's, she's great. a great human. So I got an email from her with that Imagination Library that was telling my daughter happy birthday on some unlisted YouTube video of her just going, hey, this is Dolly. Happy birthday. I hope you're having a great day. Are you serious? Yeah, dude. Bro, that bitch is running 90 miles an hour for the rest of her life, dude. Just trying to, like, I dig that. Yeah, oh, yeah. And she's cranked one so far over the fence that anybody's last name that's part and that's ever come out of her cooch or anybody else's is going to be fed really well. And I can really dig that, dude. Does she have kids? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about her. 
you and think, the fu- do you think her and Kenny Rogers did it? For sure. I can't remember if they were married, not that that really matters, but they were on the road a lot doing those concerts. Bro, I, you know. They had to have. I w- <laughs> and like res- Kenny's beautiful, like, too. respectfully, because Dolly Parton is so killer, like, I don't really even want to have that conversation about her. You know, know what I mean? And I don't mean that to disrespect you. It's just like, she's killed it so hard. Mm-hmm. And she's not, it doesn't seem to me that she just super sold out to Nashville. She's like old Nashville. Oh, yeah. She She's Johnny, she's in that realm of Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, all those people. And they don't really give her that credit, I don't feel like, here in Nashville. I and they feel won't bad until she dies. I even feel bad making that joke I just made. No, that's cool, man. Dolly, it was a total joke. Sorry, Dolly. Hey, Dolly, you can come on here anytime. She's 75. She's 75 years young. Dolly Rebecca Pardon. I didn't know her full name. No, I didn't either. She was born on January 19th, 1946, Pittman Center, Tennessee. I have no idea where that even is. She's a Capricorn like me. Pittman Center is a town in Sevier County, Tennessee, United States. Population was 477 people at the 2000 census and 502 at the 2010. Small town. Dude, Great Smoky Mountains, man. It's cool Have you right seen there. the movie Code of Many Colors? It's a Christmas movie. No. It's based on a true story of her life. Pretty fascinating. It sounds like a Lifetime She's original. She's in the movie. That's oh, cool. yeah. It's a Lifetime original. It's one of those kind. Dude, what do you but think about- But it's really good. You need to sit the family down and watch it. What do you think about that Drinking. White Stripes cover of Jolene? I haven't seen it. That was one- That's the best song they ever did, by the way. That the live Jolene. And I don't know where he was, but it's the one that ended up on the record. That's it. Where was that? Does it say? No, this is... This is... uh. This is just is that off. the live one? I don't think. I mean, it could be live, but it's on. It's the album version. I don't think it's live. Okay, the one that I heard was a live version, and it's unbelievable. There's a lot of echo in his voice. Of course, he likes to do that anyway. It looks like Zach Brown Band even covers this. Dude, he goes off on this. I'm gonna see if she wrote that. I mean, not that it even matters, but... Gosh, she has so many albums, dude. I'm sitting here looking. Hello, I'm Dolly, 1967 was her first solo. Uh, she's got... She had a ton with Porter Wagner. Bro, she had... She was a big star during her day, man. Like, she had that 9 to 5. Remember that movie, 1980? Yeah. Yeah, she did write it. Guess where she was? She she wrote it and then uh, recorded it at Studio B in Nashville in 1973. Hmm. I know exactly where that place is. I got, I've been there by there I don't know how many times. That's pretty cool. And that's another thing, man. There's so many twists and turns. You know you, you know how it works better than anybody. But when it comes to the music industry. You know, you need to complete a band. You know, we touched on this earlier a little bit, but, well, everybody knows each other. And if they, if a band has a certain style that they have, they know who the other bands are that have their sound. 
So they could recruit a guitarist that isn't in a band anymore, right? Because he used to be with this band and he's no longer with that band anymore. Or even, do they do it sometimes? They just uh, record at different times, like they can play for two different bands. Does that happen? Uh, there, um, there are people that are in multiple bands, and that happens. I don't, I don't, I can't think of any where they would Mike share Portnoy. the songs though. Portnoy. Isn't that that pizza oh, guy? Oh, not not sh- not share songs, but you know the drummer, Mike Portman. Oh, like like just being it, like people like share a member. Yes. Oh yeah, dude, Jack White's like that. He is. I mean, he was in. He's in. Well, the White Stripes don't really exist anymore. But he had the White Stripes. He had a band called the Tours, and then he played drums in a band called the Dead Weather. At this all at the same time. Uh, around the same era, yeah. That was like early two thousands, like. 2005, 2010-ish, like somewhere around in there. He uh he strikes me as a true, ridiculous, true artist. There's something annoying about him too, though, man. What is it? I don't know. His name? No, I don't even think that's his name. I don't think it is either. Uh, let me finish this list real quick. Dolly Parton, 500 million. Shania Twain, 400 million. Toby Keith. 365 man I watched a dude bust Toby Keith <laughs> I watched a dude bust a Toby Keith signed guitar that he just won from like a some sort of uh they were doing covers at Grammys like you could come in and they had this thing set up they talked about it for weeks and you'd come in and you'd do a cover of I don't know who it was Ron Adams or something you do a Ron Adams cover and then you, and then You'd win the the best one. Everybody clapped or whatever, and then the best one. You won this Toby Keith signed acoustic guitar, huh. and the dude who won it turned around and busted it over a stool. It was the coolest thing I've seen. What? <laughs> he goes, Smash and bust the guitar, and everybody's like, "Yeah!" <laughs> wow, Toby Keith. You think there's people out there that's that's like the country creed, bro? Yeah. Like if you liked Toby Keith, it's not really like cool, man. You like some cool, like some music that might have been cool for a second for you or whatever. So but what's like, what's he doing now? Now he's like he's like the country Nickelback or something, right? Like if right. you're like, hey man, you like Toby Keith, and it's like, I ain't admitting it, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, what is he doing now? I don't know. Did he just keep his, his money? money. Evidently, I know Dude, he's he got was more big. than Garth. Garth needs to get a loan from him because Garth's Garth. Only, he's next. He's three thirty. Of course, Garth's making a pretty big comeback. He probably will jump to the top of that list. Trisha's got um, this cooking show. It's a really big deal. His wife. She, yo, and see, the deal with him is didn't he leave his first wife for Trisha Yearwood? Yes, straight up. And people in that, that, bro, that country music scene, people, they don't like that too much. No. That's a little icky in the whole down-home yeah. America, bro. You don't well, leave your lady. Obviously, I mean, they spent so much time explaining it between June Carter and um, Johnny. Hey man, but I, Johnny. I I can get it though. Like if you shot so far out into the stratosphere, and then your other person can't handle it, or maybe has something that's going to hold you back. I mean, I'm not saying it's okay. I don't. I don't. I think you should dance with the lady you brought to the dance, bro. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like Jeff Bezos found that out, bro. He lost half his junk. Yeah. She instantly became the the most wealthy woman on on the planet, in the history of the planet overnight, after the divorce. Yo, you know he started in a garage, mm-hmm. just like this. Yep. Hey, he didn't even have a podcast, bro. No, I'm coming for you, Jeff. He kept the same Honda Accord for a long time, which I, I don't know. 
He's trying to be Sam Walton, I guess, but uh, good for him, man. Well, I good think, for him. I think that's the level of discipline that I'm at. I, I mean, but I think that's the level of discipline that it really does take. It's like, are you willing to drive a Honda Accord for 10 years? Are you willing to sell everything you have, put every... I don't. I mean, I'm not saying you have to do all that, but it just seems like every person that I've heard that's made it big, like the dude from Black Rifle Coffee Company, when he was talking to Joe Rogan, and he said, "Man, I was sleeping underneath my desk, and my doctor was telling me, dude, you need to get more sleep, or you're going to kill yourself." Like he he was being a Navy SEAL at trying to start a coffee company. You dig right. that? Yeah. So remarkable. So Jeff Bezos, if I'm him and you're like, bro, I'm a millionaire, billionaire, whatever he was at the time when he had his Honda Accord, but I'm still driving his Honda Accord. Like, I don't know, man. To me, that's a feather in his cap. Jeff Bezos. Is that how you say it? Bezos? Bezos? Apparently he says it that way himself. So Jeff Bezos, um, you know, he's, he's no, he no longer owns... Do you know this? No. Which one is this? CEO entrepreneur, born in 1964, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos. Never heard it. CEO entrepreneur, born in 1964, Check out the chorus. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos. Come on, Jeffrey, you can do it. Pave the way, put your back into it. Tell us why, show us how. Come on, Jeff, get him. He's cool, man. I mean, isn't it funny though that these all these these guys all come from different fields? That, but they're at the top of their field. Yeah, that's kind of how that works, isn't it? Social media, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, yeah, but they couldn't have known. They, real, co- they couldn't have known how how important and how expensive the data that they would have. I think it was an accident. I, I do think that whether Zuckerberg stole it or whatever, Facebook specifically, I, I genuinely think they were trying to make a yearbook online. Dude, I tell you what we should do, man. I should, uh, let's finish this list right here. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought you did. No, uh, George, uh, Garth Brooks is number four, 330 million. George Strait is 300 million. Kenny Rogers, uh, of course he's dead, 250 million. Kenny Chesney's 190. Reba's 98. Allen's 96. And Brad Paisley's 95. I mean, that's a. That seems about right. You know what's really funny about these, about the list of the um, wealthiest people is it's always the like 80s, 90s, and on group. I, I still, like, even when you go look at the classic rock people, Dave Matthews has more money than Robert Plant. You know what I mean? And then Robert Plant has more money than like whoever would have been the 60s and 50s version. But it's it's only the people that kept going into what I would call like the commercial age of music, which is 1975 on. I think you see Led Zeppelin hit. They're playing really big stadiums. It's very commercially successful. I mean, Zeppelin is probably the most commercially successful band of all time. Is really? I, I think so. Every single one of their songs... They play them on the radio. I'd say Smash Mouth. <laughs> hey, now. 
Yeah. Maybe that's true. Did you know Robert Plant lives in Williamson County? N- I did know that. Or yeah. I knew he had a house here. Yeah. Yeah, he lives here. But uh, do you get what I'm saying? Like, once they made it into, like, when they were bringing Woodstock back in the 90s, and, and, and I do think the 90s were a little better times than the 70s and 80s. I mean, t- I mean, to me, the 90s looked like just this big 1970s, but, like, with a Visa card. Do you know what I mean? Damn, that's and a, a really good And a MasterCard. That's really good. Hey, Dave Matthews brought to you by Budweiser. Yeah. This weekend yeah. at Send Amphitheater. Like, what's that's that? good. You're right, You know bro. what I mean? It, it It's commercial everything. So how about this? Let's do the top 10 okay. uh, for, for rock or um, I don't know how you'd even list it. Not pop, but just- Dude, uh, I even hate the idea of genres, too. I do, too. And that's what's- com- So we just did country music. And that's everything, whether it's a bluesy sound or a pop sound, it doesn't matter. It's country music. So what would be the next list? Would it be uh, here? It is top 40 bands, your, music? or I guess uh, these are singers, musicians, whatever. So you got number one. According to who? Uh, Shout out to Playback uh, FM. <laughs> Playback FM. It's got to be true. It's I on wonder if there's FM. a Rolling Stones list. I mean, they probably stole this from somebody else. This is. Oh, I'm sure. This will give us a general idea. Paul McCartney's 1.2 billion. Wow. Of course, didn't he get wrapped up in um, divorce? Yeah, she, he well, paid he her 500 Ap- million. Apple. He 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 invested in Apple. I'm pretty sure is where he got a lot of his. Yeah, money. he paid her 500 million, and he's still over a billion. Paul McCartney. Bono 705. You like you too? My God. Yo, let's play some songs, man. We're free. I'm free. I don't even know. Is Paul McCartney putting out any music now? Yeah. Bro, dig this. Wait right here. I'm going to play this. I'm going to show you something really cool. You're going to keep your pants on, though, right? (laughs) Is it getting better? Or do you feel the same? A lot of people don't know this, but my uncle helped write this song. Will it make it easier when he was in Vietnam? You got someone to blame. It's a true story. How dare you not believe me? Are you going to play a record? So Craig's coming back. He's got a couple albums he's going to show. Sure. This is Paul Mc- one of Paul McCartney's newest records. It's called McCartney 3. Ooh. And then this other version that I'm showing you here, this is McCartney 3. It's called the 3,333 edition. One-time pressing of the number one indie exclusive, this indie exclusive splatter. But it's a limited edition of 300, or sorry, I keep saying that wrong. 3,333 pressed at Third Man Records in Detroit. And it has a like it has a special cover. Oh, okay. So when this one has a label at the bottom that says "Made in Germany," is that Germany? Is that where it was pressed? Yeah. Okay. So you bought this from Third Man on what is that Lafayette? Uh, no, no, no. Is no, that no. where that came from? Uh, we get, like, those records come from our distributor, and then those would have been um, 
super limited, but anything that says indie exclusive like that, only physical record stores can get. I actually really want to make a uh, sticker that says make indie inclusive again, because what happened, they have what's called record store day where, um, record stores, they'll have a list of all these different releases that are just that day and record stores can buy them and people wait in line and whatever. But that whole record store day has kind of become just disgusting. It's, it's, it's more or less like everything else in America where it just gets over commercialized. The releases aren't as good. They, they regurgitate, regurgitate stuff and they feel like they just have you at this point of sale. Like they know you're going to come in and because it's record store day, they just think you'll buy whatever. And the lists have just gotten worse and worse and worse. And what's funny, man, is it's, it, it's run by a lot of the bigger distributors and bigger record stores. But I, I don't really know how they choose those titles. Huh. But whoever's doing it, they need to fire them because it's awful. But it used to be good. It used to be killer. Yeah, like I mean, and there used to be value. So so here's where record record distributors and labels screw up. Like that's limited to three thousand three hundred and thirty three. <laughs> but if they sold, if they sold it like that, and these are now worth seventy five, the the companies will go. Well, next time we need to do thirty three thousand three hundred and thirty three, and they do it, and then record stores get it, and they're thinking it's going to sell. But nobody wants something if it's not exclusive and valuable. Uh. So they don't retain the value of the thing. They bastardize it, and then nobody cares about it anymore because it's not valuable anymore. Nobody's nobody nobody's buying these. Well, some people do buy records to enjoy them. I do that. But ultimately, the cool side of records is, is you're buying them because they retain some form of value hmm. and can be sold for other things that maybe you want later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Like, you, you know, like, hey, I don't. I bought this McCartney and I paid fifty bucks for. I'm just making this up, but like, let's say I bought it, pay fifty bucks, and then it's four or five years later, and I, you know, don't care about that record anymore, and now it's worth one hundred and fifty. Okay. Well, now I can sell it to the dude who does care, and I can take my hundred and fifty and buy a couple more records. So how does it work, though? I mean, is there some sort of industry standard in your world that shows the value of a? Is it some sort of reference someone can um, make? Yes and no. It's kind of like a Beckett system. Do you remember like oh yeah cards? That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. So that you could do the uh, the book that came out every year, and it would show yeah. different values of. So the website that our main one of our main websites we sell on. Sorry to stutter right there, but it's called Discogs, and the main goal of Discogs was to catalog every release. So like you could, those two McCartneys that were different, you couldn't sell those under the same thing. It's two different products. So there would be different listings on Discogs for those products. And then you'd have it listed to sell under that. So they have all the different versions of records on there. And and then, you know, you can add it to your collection. But there might be like 90 different versions of that. Really? CDs, tapes, whatever. Yeah. 90. I mean, I don't know about that one. I could look it up. At least probably 10? At least, probably at least 20. That seems insane. It's the same because I know there's some different colors. Like they'll do different colors. They'll do. There might be a European. There might be a Japanese. And that's the be. idea to get you to buy those because they're so great, or is it because of the collectability? And uh, that's well, solely. I think the reason people purchase would be different. I think that some of them purchase. I think there's some people that purchase these and never even open them and don't even own a record player. Like I just think there's people that collect, hmm. or maybe they're gonna get a record player. 
I think, and then the opposite end of the spectrum is I think there's people that don't care about what color. They don't care about condition. They just want to listen. So uh, your man, uh, Government Mule, that record you showed me, uh-huh. what what kind of value on that record? I mean, that's just, I mean, he's, Government Mule, there are some Government Mule records that are pretty collectible. They'd be older, that are just out of press. Even if it's a repress or whatever you call it. Yeah, I mean, yes. Uh, there's th- that one that you're looking at. I mean, that's probably twenty, twenty five bucks, just new. I mean, it's not very collectible. It's just whoever wants to hear that new record. Now, what'll happen? Like, let's say it doesn't sell well, and they make like a thousand. Nobody buys it. Nobody buys it from the distributors, and then they're just like, "Well, we're not going to press it again." And then that could become valuable because nobody bought it, and it's hard to get. Ah, uh-huh. but it might be in like five years. And then people are like, well, nobody has that. Well, it's like nobody bought it. So now it's valuable because of supply and demand. Like let's say he dies or gets COVID. Probably COVID. Yeah. Or let's say he get, got COVID and died. Like I don't think it would go up in value just because he got COVID. That's what I meant. But Yeah, because there's so many people. If it was still a novelty virus, novel, you know, like very rarely people died from it. Uh, where did I ever hear that one? Uh, where did I hear that before? No, people, uh, then it would be of higher value because he died. It'd be even worse if he died of Ebola, you know? Yeah. He would be one of the only music stars ever who has died from that. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think but, I want to buy that record from you. Does that, uh, is that just part of your inventory? Is it dedicated yeah. to someone as an, in, in an order? No, no, no. It, it was just, I mean, it's just stuff we got coming in. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't recommend that one. Really? It's okay. That was the same one you you played, wasn't it? Uh, well, no, he's. So my whole point in that earlier that I didn't make was that the problem with blues is sometimes it's just kind of like this is a really good band, but then sometimes when white people do the blues, to me it just doesn't seem genuine because it's 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 commercial. I I, I don't even know that it's that. I just feel to me, me personally, I feel like the blues feels the most honest, n- at least ninety five percent of the time. Uh, hang on, let me say this better. Let me say it a better way. I I feel like the blues is more genuine coming from black people because it's a black expression. Than it do, it seems contrived to me when I hear people like Warren Haynes or whoever. Sing the blues or Eric Clapton, which I I don't understand. Like I him. think that white people can play the blues. I think that you could have musicians that could play the guitar and they could play the drums and they could do all of that. But to me, there is something that is not honest about most white people singing the blues. Like it just sounds Winona or something. Okay, so do you dig what I mean by I, that? I, I'm I think I'm tracking. But let me ask you this: Indian. Uh, Eastern European, Polish, you you name it. Anywhere, any country, everybody knows the blues, man. Everybody experiences the blues. But they can't. You know what I'm saying? So we all feel it. As far as interpreting it and uh, interpreting it and making it is a different story, I guess. But everybody feels the blues, you know. That's a, that's a universal feeling. What's not a universal feeling is country music, and that's why you know you don't have a universal like of country music. It's okay, bro. Yeah, then, you're gonna play Muddy Waters. 
right? No. Close. Because that's about as bluesy as it gets in original, like, Delta type. <clears throat> Here we go. I grew up on the blues. My dad played it all the time in the house. I loved it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. It's perfect. <laughs> Who doesn't like that? I'm going to Kansas City. Kansas City, here I come. I mean, but listen to the vocals on that, though. It's like, unreal. It's, it's, he's, he's not even trying. He's no. not even trying at all. No. He's just. I'll be standing on the corner. I'll 12 Street and It's loose. Of 12th Street and by. And you can go back even further, and there's no trumpets in the music. City, baby, no I'm horns at all. Now listen to this. But the, but the blues that you played a minute ago, yeah, for sure. But listen to the singing. This is Government Mule here. It's his singing. Because he's dead on musically. They're dead on. singing a dead man's song right you see what I mean for sure smell of smoke rising in the air him as a singer personally him Ain't as a no singer need to worry about things gone that probably his style of sound wouldn't work anywhere else would it always something going maybe gospel on. you know actually man uh, that guy Warren Haynes. He's probably the best guitar player alive, period. I don't care. I'd say that to anybody's face. I don't care if Dave Mustaine was sitting right here in front of me, whatever. Whoa. The greatest guitar player sitting on this planet right now, alive and breathing, is Warren Haynes. Well, Warren Haynes is swimming right now. <laughs> but he, but they... <sighs> I looked know, him up. He's, he's swimming. <laughs> but he, uh, but now listen to this. Like he, they... Uh, let's see which one do I want to play right here. So this is live, um, live at the Capitol Theater. Dark was the night, cold was the ground. So this is a cover, and this is blues, and it sounds good, but it's rock blues, which is rock Jamaican. And roll. Do you hear that? It's a keyboard. I don't know why I played this because the intro is like eight minutes long. The intro is? This little, no, not really. It kind of hums on right here for a minute. I want you to hear the tone of his guitar. Like, I guess what I'm saying is opinion, but I just don't care for white singers when it comes to the real traditional blues. It doesn't can sound I, right to can me. Can I ask you this then? I, I, I Am I racist to... against white people? Yes. No.
it just sounds so good, bro. Yes, for sure. But that sounds like Zeppelin. And Alice in Chains. I mean... So, so, so I, it's, I, I know you personally, I know you, and I think what people are picking up on, if they haven't already, is that my friend Craig is a purist. I just, hey man, if I, if I was going to listen to the blues, why would I listen to a contrived version of it yeah. when I could just put on Albert King and Muddy Waters? Yeah. I think that's just a continuation of what happened in the 70s with like black people not being on classic rock radio not being on they had their own stations that's they just called it r&b or or rhythm the blues or soul or whatever and it's just now nah, that's its own thing it's not its own thing i think a lot of that stuff is the similar vibe it's just the difference of black expression and white expression and they just called it something else like i don't actually think there's i think funkadelic is classic rock but they just called it you know or whatever but they don't play it on classic rock they just left them out of it and then you see people like I'm not trying to make a racist deal out of this. I'm this is just the way I honestly see it. Then you have people that go to the moon like Led Zeppelin, but all they were doing was um, reinterpreting old blues. I mean, they did some stealing too for sure with Zeppelin. But I mean, you have people that heard the blues, and then they they, they go, okay, what does that mean to me? And then they ex- like express themselves in a different way. So somebody like Pink Floyd is very aware probably of the blues and in older music or whatever, and that inspired them to do their own thing, but then they did their own thing. Or like you have the Stones who probably, who who did kind of start out as a, quoting Paul McCartney, um, as a rhythm and blues or blues cover band or like a, you know, they're just an R&B band or whatever. And dude, I'm going to tell you this right now. I, I did go see the Stones at uh, whatever the Titan Stadium's called today, whatever corporate sponsors on the Titan Stadium this week. I can't remember. I can't either. It's been so many. But anyway, we go see them, and I'm sitting there looking at them and like, dude, this is old showmanship. Like, they're still doing it. They got it. They're an old rhythm and blues band. Is that part of it, though? Well, I think the difference once is... Once you grow a little more, that it that it does become elaborate and well, it sh- kind of loses touch in a way. I just think that I'm more interested in artists who are who are obviously looking at what has been before them and then expressing it in their own personal new fresh way. And I think when you really look at the bands that stick around for a long long time, they did that. Whether you like them or not, like even somebody like U2, you know, you go, oh, "Well, who did like who did that before U2?" You know, and you could you go, "Well, I mean, they got this little piece from this guy and that little piece from this guy." Or like you take somebody like Radiohead or Floyd is always a good example or the Stones or the Beatles like who was doing that before them nobody they took what was there they took uh the technology that was available to them and they did the best they could and they well yeah I I mean I'm one of those rare ones not I say rare but I'm one of those guys who believes that Radiohead is a blues sound (laughs) it's its own blues sound because it's telling such a sad story man their biggest song ever, Creep. That's a sad song, dude. When you listen to the words, he's broken hearted, dude. And then he, not only that, he's being looked at like some weirdo because he's in love with this girl. Do you identify with songs like that? 
Well, that's that is country music, or uh, that well, a lot of that's country music and blues. Did it's heartbreak. Do you know this one? This is them. It's called "Climbing Up the Walls." Radiohead. Yeah. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. It's a very interesting way. I never thought about I mean, it like that. See, it already sounds good. Really good. I have a friend of mine that that really thinks that these guys found uncharted territory, and that like when you look at the big, the biggest bands talking about influence or like. Um, I don't know. I hate to use this, say it again this way, but like space creators, like bands that went out and charted new territory. He thinks they were one of the big ones that came from the '90s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, try to match them up with anything else that was going on at that time. Like when you look back in 30 years, it's gonna be like, dude, Radiohead was. Well, not only that, but one that was a very big disappointment to me uh, was uh, uh, Living Color that they didn't go any further. I didn't know much about them. Dude, they did that one song, um, that rock song that they did. Let's see. Um, you'd recognize it. I'm just drawing a blank all of a sudden because there's another song playing. Uh, but that was the only song they did. They were one-hit wonder, and maybe it's not up to them, I guess. It's Cult up to of the Personality? Market. Cult of Personality. That, what happened to them, dude? They just kind of, that was a badass song. And it's still relevant. This came out in 1988. Yeah. And it's still a relevant song. Like, it rocks still. But I that's remember what song. Yeah. They play this on uh, 105.9 sometimes. Yeah, and that's a that's an all-black band, too. A lot of people don't realize that. What happened to them? Obviously, they put out a really, really good song. Kind of sounds like Lenny around. Kravitz in a way, doesn't it? It does, dude. And I can't help but think, and, and I was going to make mention of Lenny Kravitz. What if? I wonder if he gives them any props. Is that kind of his sound? I don't know. Did you know it's a band that's kind of like this? Like I would almost wonder, since this is '88, and then when did let when did Let Love Rule come out? Let's see. Mac Mussolini. Bro, he's like, I got a lyric for y'all. Check me out. Like Mussolini, dude. It was a that song. It's still what's his clear. name? What's his singer's name? I don't know. Come on, man. Heard. We really gonna say Mussolini? Yeah, dude. I can pull it off. I can pull it. Off. Like Mussolini. <laughs> Do you like uh, Beastie Boys? I'll stir fry you in my walk. <laughs> That's one of the lyrics. It's all you know. The Beastie Boys. It makes no sense, but in the in the moment, it sounds awesome. <laughs> dude, I love that stuff. Dude, there's nothing like I, I can remember coming home from school, like eighth, ninth grade. I don't remember when it was. And this, there's this next song was like this was on all the time. Oh yeah, like for a full. That's summer. in that song. I'll stir fry you in my walk. I'll never <laughs> forget that line. <laughs> this is a cool song. It's a great song. The whole album is okay. Good. Now this is a really good example of what I'm saying. Three white guys trying to rap. You know what I'm saying? Like they How did they just did happen? their own thing, but th- but this is an honest expression of okay, we're three white guys that want to rap. Let's do our own. Let's. How, what does that look like to us? And then they did it. This is not contrived white rap. That's what I'm saying. So when a band just sits there and plays the blues, like clapped it, bro. Come on, let me play this, dude. He's awful. I don't, I don't understand clapping. Awful. I don't know how that even happened. I can I can explain why he is popular and why he should get the reverence that he gets. 
but it's not for the same reasons. He's that, English, bro, and he wears glasses. He married up the Marshall amp with Gibson guitars, is, and, and he defined the sound of the 70s and was an insane guitar player. But not blues. But he never, ever, ever should be doing this right here. Like, it all sounds good until it's, he sings, bro. The music it is ain't good. right. It just doesn't if sound right. No. Totally agree. Like, everything but his singing is killer. The drums are a little heavy for blues. But they got it all. The harmonica, the, the piano... But then now listen to this. Oh, sharp, so sharp, bro. That dude drank two beers and a shot of Jack Daniels and sat down in that poured out of him like sweat. You understand? Like, that's the difference to me. Eric Clapton is contrived. Muddy Waters is not. Like, there is a, there are other things that Eric Clapton did that are perfectly fine. But I just it's the it's the blues specifically. I just don't I just can't dig it. With, it is with such white a pure doing. form, man. It's when when they talk about cultural appropriation. I, I, yeah. To me, I think it's all bullcrap. But but that's one that I actually kind of think yeah, they might have a point. It's yeah. like, dude, you get, like. It's a it's it a pretty right, hard bro. argument to get around. I mean, it's seriously. like white people sagging their pants. It's dude, like, dude, that ain't like, you just compared. Um, two of the most well-known blues. You could just ask, ask the average music. Like which one sounds better? You could ask the the average music listener. Hey, give me an example of blues uh, singer. Probably those two would come up, and they're totally different. Yeah, one's hot trash, and the other actually is is the real deal. And what's crazy, man, is we, I, I've been to record stores. All bro, I would I would be willing to bet that. There can't be many people that have been to as many record stores as I've been to just because I used to have that traveling job. And I would, like, if I went to Tampa, I would have a list of every record store that was within about an hour drive when they closed, and I'd hit every single one of them after 5 o'clock. Like, I would do my job. As soon as I'd get done, I I wouldn't go eat with everybody else that was on my team. I would just hit all these record stores, and I would grind them. And I'd go home with just boxes of records. And one thing that I always noticed is every blues section in every city is mostly just white blues. It's just like white blues artists. If you look up any of the Austin City Limits videos from PBS over the years, and they have like a, well, I mean, what's his name? He died in a plane crash or helicopter crash in the 70s. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, that was the 90s. 90s? It was like 91. Excellent example of a white dude that got it right. Yeah. Excellent but, example, and that's an he he is an honest interpretation. Sure, and uh, so and he had a soulful voice too. So and when, so when that kind of thing is happens, it's recognized in the same way that Jimi Hendrix is recognized. It's not typical that black dudes go into into rock music, you know. But obviously, Jimi Hendrix is a legend. All right, so here are some white people that I think got it right in like, blues. Yes. Okay. Here's one. There's a lot of irony in this one, too. The fact that I, I'm playing this one. Pink Floyd. Uh-uh. This is Doyle Bramhall II. Damn. Um, Doyle Bramhall, his dad, was also a musician, wrote some, wrote a song, Life, 
Life by the Drop with Stevie Ray Vaughan or for Stevie Ray Vaughan I don't know how that worked but this dude is actually Eric Clapton's guitar player is <laughs> what's funny hmm. and I saw this dude in 2000 open for Eric Clapton at the arena and the name of his band was Dole Bram Hall II in Smokestack and he plays strung upside down left handed like Albert King so his bass string is on the bottom and his high string is on the top so his neck's upside down and he's the real deal Huh, this guy? Yeah, and me and a buddy of mine. Doyle? Doyle Bramhall. Bro, you know the dude who's, who owns Grimey's, one of the main dudes? His name's Doyle. <laughs> I know O'Doyle's beat up Adam Sandler in that movie once. Hey, if your name's Doyle, you got to rock it, don't you? You do, man. Like, you better bring it. You better own a record store or play for Eric Clapton, or you're but just... But also, I mean, that is about as English as it gets. Like, you know, they dropped him off the, the, the buggy from London he's from Austin this dude used to get pulled on stage with Stevie Ray Vaughan as a kid like as a 15 16 year old kid he, Eric, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan pull him on stage like he's, cool. he's connected but check this out doesn't sound blue So he, the reason it doesn't is because it's an honest expression from him. I, man, I'm not even going to go back to the base of, basis of this argument again, but I just, it's it's my personal taste. I just don't dig it, man. I, I guarantee there's somebody out there that listens to Clapton or is hearing what we're saying. It's just like, yeah, I mean, whatever. I'm not knocking him. I mean, it's I'm glad just, he made I don't his money. understand it. Yeah. I, I, that's where I'm like, coming from. I would from. just go listen to something else. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. I, I agree. To each their own. We're all trying to. We're all a squirrel trying to get a nut, man. <laughs> but then you have people, bro, like uh, Gary Clark Jr. Do you listen to him? Uh, you've you've uh, turned me on to him. Listen to some of it. And I think he, like, he, he is a black dude, and he is not even doing, like, tra- he can do traditional blues. And I think that's the key right there. Like, can you do the blues? Yes. Should you do it or use it as a tool? Yes. Should you do it? Should you try to go out and do like a traditional blues record at, in 2021? I don't think so. Like, I just, it seems like a bad idea. Really? I do, man. As a white artist, like, the, as that, like, that's what that government mule record is. Right. Like, they went and did this, like, traditional blues God, it record. It still sounds good, man. It sounds so good. This is Gary Clark. You can hear the hip hop influence in that. That open fat beat. He's from Austin too. It's a cool town. You been there? I have not. That's where JRE is now. Yeah. I don't know, man. Maybe I'm wearing that point out, but we can let it go. I personally, that, it's always been a beef of mine, man. I would hear Clapton just be. It's just like. I don't fake. get it, man. Yeah. I'm not. Know. I mean. Well, I better get going. All right. This was a good one. Up and out. I like this. You like that? So people that are just now listening to the show, you've probably seen videos uh, up to this point. Today, we're doing just audio. 
and we're inside the warehouse of Go Vinyl Go, um, particularly at, I'm assuming, a packing table. Yeah, so this table you're looking at, um, this was the original cellar door of my old house in East Nashville. Are you kidding me? Yeah, there was a, like they added onto the house, so there was a cellar underneath that was just covered up. So I thought, wow, like, dude. I, I crawled in there and dug this thing out. And then we, this was the original table that we started the company on, and it used to be in, in our old house. And then I took the legs off of it and made this card out of it. And I, this I, is great. Like I told Ashley. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so I made this out of it. And, uh, yeah. And then this is the packet. So this is where I pack. And then that is where we label. And, uh, yeah, you saw all the other additions that we made this week with the shelves and all that. It it almost feels like we should have been doing this from the beginning. Hey, man, one small step this at a time, This is so right? good, man. It seems like our conversations are better, too, because... Yeah, I, I dig it, and open and loose, and who cares? Who cares? It's good talking to you, It man. was really good talking to you, too.